Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, hey guys, welcome to another edition of this show that we do right after the last ball drops. Today it was on Chatria indeed, as the initial plan was um, was going to be, and uh, Zverev and uh, TFO was of course the last match. Vansh, you are a repeat customer, um, well, repeat offender on the show. Uh, so yeah, hello, how did you enjoy today's action? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, definitely interesting, for sure, to say the least. Um, yeah, I mean, now we're sort of in, now we're entering the second week officially starting tomorrow. And I guess there's quite a bit to digest, look ahead to. So yeah, happy to go into it. Yeah. Maybe let's start from the match that actually didn't happen because like 30 minutes before the start of play today, I guess you were probably still asleep, but, um, for us, it was like 30 minutes before the start of play, I think, at least on center court, because I, I believe that the other two matches were already going on. And suddenly it was announced that Elena Rybakina will not be um, showing up, which uh, definitely took everyone by surprise. Then in like 20 minutes, more details came along after she had a presser. So yeah, what does what does that mean for the event? Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Um, you know, I think she was obviously one of the contenders here. Uh, looking forward to seeing that potential semi-final play out against Tech, but also just many matches before that. I mean, Cerebus Tormo was going to be a fun one, uh, I think, to to see she was in good form and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, these things just happen sometimes. Uh, having been in Paris last year, I can tell you that uh, Pollen is uh, pretty 
pretty rampant like in during the month of june and the levels are pretty insane actually and you can get sick um and so yeah i can't imagine like honestly playing elite tennis if you have a fever and a headache and stuff like that so so yeah i think now we're just gonna see her back on the grass and she should do pretty well there um i don't think the implication is covid ghosty like she she also mentioned allergies um, apparently, like um, many people have been struggling with that in Paris this year. So, um, you know, players are not excluded. They are not robots. They are human. <laughs> they also struggle with allergies. And um, apparently it was also related to that. Uh, also, when it comes to my dissertation, I actually heard that um, I have two more weeks to finish it. So, you know, still like a month. But um, yeah, thank you, I guess, for uh, trying to build, trying to help me build my fan base. And um, well, I I think she uh, I think it was like both, right? Uh, I think the doctor told her that that uh, this was also related to the allergies. Uh, anyway, yeah, definitely um, was quite a shock. Uh, if someone was withdrawing from that match, I was probably expecting Soriba Stormo, right? Because she's like just barely come back from injury. Rebakina, one of the main contenders for the title. Uh, and then this this uh, info hits us, which isn't isn't great maybe for the event, but um, of course there are still a few other um, players that we thought were going to have the high, you know, some of the highest chances to win the event. I saw that Iga Świątek fans were like um, on Twitter today; they were even angry at someone for saying that uh, she is one of the main. Know, beneficiaries of this uh, of this piece of news. I'm like in the middle uh, with this, as I probably said on these shows a few times. I still wasn't really putting you know Rybakina in the semis, Sabalenka in the final. I think there's enough variance in the uh, best of three format, especially that like I, I I still wasn't thinking that far ahead. Uh, but of course, given the fact that Shiontek has not beaten her this year in three attempts, well two and a half attempts, let's say, uh, then um, certainly it also is pretty meaningful um, towards her run. In general, a lot of things like over the past few days, feel it, it really feels like the stars are lining for Świątek, uh, this run, Garros. And of course, it's not like she really needs them to, right? So um, so definitely this is also one of these uh, these things that um, make it even more possible that she, she is going to be, you know, at least in the final or... Or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I guess from this we can talk about uh, matches that actually happened. Um, I just mentioned Shiontek, so maybe let's talk about her. I mean, bakery again, double bagel, and um, definitely much cleaner than the first two rounds, right? But it also wasn't really a challenge for her. Yeah, I didn't really learn too much from this. Um, you know, like double bagel, like you said, and it was uh, very straightforward, more or less. I think she only lost 17 total points. Um, and yeah, like pretty good stats overall. I mean, I actually didn't watch any of it because I was still asleep and she finished it up really quickly in about 50 minutes or so. But, uh, but yeah, I did, I did see this quote that, uh, she didn't really want to get into her six love, six love results just to be respectful to the other players. Um, but I think we'll, I was hoping that we were going to see her play on rescue. And that obviously didn't pan out. So, uh, and I think she has a very good record against Serenko as well. They've played each other twice and she's lost four games in total. 
and one was I think they even played here last year. I want to say in the first round, and it was like yes, and then of and course then, Rome, yeah, yeah, and then Rome. So, I mean, Sorenko is playing a lot better. Obviously, she's picked up two good wins this week, but I don't really see this as much of a challenge. I don't really see her challenging Eva honestly in the next round. Um, so yeah, we're like you said, the stars are really kind of aligning. Not that she needs them to. But. Yeah, Andrescu felt like one of these opponents who, like, on a good day can certainly trouble her. Surenko, just stylistically, not so much. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I expect a 6-6 six to six love, but um, certainly it seems like Surenko doesn't really have that much to hurt her with. I remember someone saying on um, on one of these shows that, like, Świątek usually has a dip in her forefront. I'm not sure if it's something, you know, that we really can be looking at. Like most of the time, it's probably just coincidence. You know, her struggling with Kim Van Zhang um, last year, I don't think it was really based on the round. I think it was just based on the fact that she would struggle against Kim Van back then, at least in that in that event, whatever round it was, probably. Well, maybe yeah. not in the final or something. Uh, at, the, at the US Open, she also ran into Niemeyer, who clearly is a very tough matchup for her. So... I don't know if it's um, if it's really something I'm looking at, but yeah, Tsurenko does seem easier for her, even if she, well, on the day at least today, she was she was so much stronger than Andrescu. She definitely seems a bit easier for Świątek, and I also don't think we really learned much from um, the match against Senior Wang. Uh, oh, it was Nick. Okay, uh, I thought it was someone in the in the comments actually, but maybe okay, maybe it was you. And um, I also wanted to say that it's still kind of like so weird to me that she runs into all these players who on, you know, in another matches, they can look amazing. And then they enter the court against her. And, you know, it's like watching, I don't know, um, Iga Świątek play a 10-year-old kid, except it's not a 10-year-old kid on the other side of the net. There's a very... Um, there's a very good pro there who you know is coming off a couple of decent wins and yeah it's it, it never really stops being amazing I guess um, and um, yeah so far she has been really just uh, even if she had these two little um, you know little weaker moments at the beginning of the first two matches it never really felt like there's any point watching even to be honest with you <laughs> like other than for you know enjoyment uh, but uh, you kind of know what the scoreline, like what the not what the scoreline, but what the result will be, and uh, it takes a bit of enjoyment from me actually. I think, and um, yeah, certainly today was one of these matches where at some point you just kind of wanted to turn it off, and um, it didn't feel it, it didn't feel like anything could really happen. Is it going to be the same later on against Surenko? Kind of expect so. Um, and yes, maybe speaking of that, Tsurenko Andrescu, 6-1-6-1, not the result we were, well, expecting, right? And I think everyone already had their minds and their eyes on, you know, they, they set their sights on Świątek Andrescu in the forefront. And, uh, well, at first we want, we uh, expected Świątek Krejcikova in the forefront when the draw came out. Then Świątek Andrescu, that was again supposed to be like the problem round maybe for Iga. Um, and uh, yeah, now it's Świątek Tsurenko. Uh, what did what happened today to to Bianca Andrescu? Yeah, I mean she didn't have a good serving day. That's for sure. You know, I think uh, like her first serve just wasn't wasn't really there for her. Um, you know, it wasn't setting up the big ground strokes like it normally does. Sorenko was taking the ball a lot earlier, hitting it very cleanly, hit many many winners. Um, 
and Bianca was just on the back foot quite a, quite a lot and just just really struggled a lot of routine unforced errors like mid rallies um, just wasn't a good day at all for her and she never really found it um, I think she started to pick things up sort of like at the, the last two three games of the match but it was very late by then um, like I think she hit like six winners and twenty two unforced errors something crazy like that so it was just not it's just one of those really off days. Um, yeah, a bit of a shame though, because that's two majors in a row we were expecting Iga versus Bianca. Hmm. And then, you know, in the Australian Open, it was Christina Buksha. And she had a match point in that one. She was very close. And then this one was not close at all. But, you know, I did I did kind of expect her to struggle against Serenko. I knew it wasn't going to be a straightforward match. You know, I, I was thinking it might go three sets. I was thinking Serenko might even win. But the scoreline was, was very surprising. So... I wonder what uh, what she says in her press conference, actually, because it, it was, yeah, one of the um, worst matches I've seen her play. Fair enough. And um, yeah, maybe let's talk about like the elephant in the room and the huge match that we had today. Mira Andrieva, Coco Goff. Um, I don't know if you can really say that any any result there would be an upset or something. Uh, but, uh, well, certainly a, a match that we actually have, like, a lot of talking points after. Yeah, for sure. Like, the first set was very uh, was very interesting, very competitive. Um, you know, the tiebreak uh, was, uh, was interesting, for sure. And then, really, kind of after that, I felt like, uh, you know, and- Andreeva actually lost, lost her focus a little bit. Her composure um, was getting a lot more frustrated. Goff was defending extremely well. She was finding ways to get her backhand more into play, which she absolutely needs to do because, you know, otherwise that forehand wing, we've spoken about it many times, it certainly lets her down in many situations. So she was running around a lot of forehands, hitting that uh, inside-out backhand return that she loves, and then just, you know, looping the ball in play. I thought it was I thought she was doing well to sort of catch the ball. She does really well with on clay with, like, that pattern-changing forehand down the line loopy shot. And then she can sort of lean into her backhand and then just crush it, which she's she's very good at. But uh, but Andrea Eva's forehand also I felt like left some little bit to be desired. Like you know I don't have a huge issue with it. Like you know I think she hits pretty cleanly off of both wings, and I like her strokes in general. Um, I think when she goes to the slice, it can just sit up quite a bit, and and then that's when Coco was really able to attack and and take advantage. And I did think and Andrea was that will drop quite a bit in the last two sets, and that certainly wasn't what we were used to seeing like in the last particularly Madrid in here. So, yeah, I think Goff like, really kind of needed this result because otherwise she would have dropped a lot in the rankings. And then, you know, I think... Uh, but it's looking good for her, I think, to get to the quarters, most likely. So, yeah. She came back from a set down, I think, in her first round as well. So, it's uh, super good for her. Yeah, it's. I just find it kind of kind of funny that you know we're used to seeing from Andreeva because even the diehards, you know, even even we have watched her like five six times probably. Yeah, so. I was gonna um, say like in a really small sample size from what we've seen. Yeah, definitely. Um, but but yeah, uh, the, the first set I just thought that Andreeva wasn't really that clean compared to you know what we yeah again usually see from her. Uh, yeah. But she was getting a lot of short balls when she was playing for the Goff forehand. Like, I don't think the, the issue with Goff, Goff's forehand in that match was the fact that it was spraying errors or something. Um, it was just the fact that Andreeva had a lot of short balls to attack. And even if she missed a lot of them, because that was, you know, that was the case. The quality was spotty from both in the, in the first set. 
she still had enough of them to eventually take it. And yeah, then she just collapsed. Uh, you know, it, it was the first time she um, showed us that she is feeling the pressure. Um, definitely. It was the first time also that I saw her, you know, this, I don't know, mentally, physically tired. Who knows? I mean, perhaps a combination of both. As you said, I mean, she lost her composure um, a lot. Like, you know, there were the code violations, the, yeah. the, the fact that she hit the ball into the stands. Uh, at some point, like, you know, one more one more um, action like this and maybe she would, have, she would have been defaulted or something. So, you know, it, it was getting quite heated for sure. And then it seemed like she just had nothing left. Goff was firing all these insane second serve returns. Um, basically did not give her any room to breathe. You know, if if you're tired, um, I thought that maybe Andreeva you know, was just going to sort of throw away the second set at some point and maybe just try to gather everything for the third. But credit to Goff because she never really allowed her that opportunity. There was no moment when Andreeva could have really overcome that little physical crisis or maybe not so little, in fact. But there was really no, no, um, nothing she could really find that would allow her to get back into that match. And um, did it look like Coco is getting stronger on the forehand? No. <clears throat> I mean, there were moments when she like played it maybe with a little more height, a little spin. It was also keeping Andrieva, um, you know, a, a bit far further back behind the baseline, or like at least on the baseline, not um, really forward <laughs> inside the court. So. On clay, she can do it, right? On, on clay, there's definitely an option for uh, Goff to experiment a little bit. Also, you know, in the height element, not only depth, but yeah, I, th I think when Andreeva was actually playing at her, you know, at least decent level in the opening set, the forehand was still giving her a lot of short balls. So um, I'm not sure if it was an amazing match from Goff, but certainly the way she was defending, as you said, the way she was attacking the second serve return, well, well, it was a pretty amazing match from her, but it wasn't a match that tells you if she plays Fiontek again, she's suddenly going to overcome all these matchup differences. That wasn't that wasn't their performance, but certainly um, it was still quite great from her. And um, yeah, she has kind of proven a lot of people wrong with this run already. Um, then again, um, you know, it, it, it the, the the job like isn't done yet. Of course, she needs to get to the quarters, but playing Schmidlova in the um, in the fourth round, you know, she she will be the big favorite there. Yeah, and um, I can't. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to a good point here about uh, the Coco's forehand and how we've seen for like we've seen matches in the past where it's relatively under control and she's managing it well and you know protecting the weakness. But then there's other times where it's just scrutinized. I guess you know it usually happens against the bigger hitters, but sometimes not even majorly big. Sometimes it's just like you know we saw what happened when she played Bedosa, for example, in Madrid. Madosa oh, is a big hitter. Bro. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, as long as you just direct all the traffic there and you, you know, just make her generate with it as well, like from the middle of the court, it can sometimes, you know, it just it either gets rushed when she's defending or she can just spray a lot of shots and doesn't really have that good control. So we'll see. Against Iga, I think, is, is going to be a really big test. Maybe even in the next round against Shmidlova. Yeah, but also I think in that match actually that this was one of these where Gov, the Goff forehand was like spraying a lot, and even when yeah, yeah just the traffic was there, but she was I, I didn't actually necessarily think Bedosa was rushing her on that yeah. wing. It was more just you know heavy heavy spin, good depth. Exactly, 
like it, it wasn't actually rushing, but she was just giving her, you know, just playing through that wing a lot, and it was giving her benefits. Today, actually, Andreeva, you know, had to put pace on it, had to attack to that wing, I think, to um, to make anything happen for her, and that was also why, you know, it was it was so tough. Maybe if Andreeva wins the opening set six three, maybe she actually takes it. Uh, takes the whole match who who knows i also wanted to say that i'm not sure how it you know maybe maybe it's also language barrier or something but um, um I, you know to that that's um to what ghosty said about Shviontek. in um last year when i was at that warsaw 250 and uh honestly the pressers with Shviontek were excellent like she was giving really like thoughtful very honest answers you could ask her anything and she wouldn't be like you know i don't want to uh, maybe give give away too much or something like that. Um, I I think they were absolutely excellent. But of course, maybe it's just the language barrier. Um, maybe she's not also able to give that that sort of um, honesty, that sort of uh, truthfulness to um, to the journalist in English. I'm not sure about that. Um, oh, and actually, someone in the chat just <laughs> just did that. Um, and well, I guess, I guess it kind of, it kind of um, is to my point. Uh, someone just said something very similar, actually. But um, yeah, as I said, I'm I'm not really sure. I I usually like when I read um, when I read some of her quotes on on Twitter or something is just transcripts, right? I haven't been to an English press conference with Shiontek, so can't really say can't really compare. I would say with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, anyway, um, you mentioned uh, Anna Karolina Schmidlova. Can she be of any danger to... To go, go, go. Mm. Not maybe, but I uh, I would still probably favor Coco, especially after a match like this. Um, and um, I just think it's going to give her a lot more confidence. And I don't really see Shmidlova as the type of player that could really force Goff into, you know, those errors like we were talking about. So I think I think Coco should actually do pretty fine in that match. Yeah, it's like a very physical matchup, I suppose, but that's going to be fine for Goff. Um, the way she played today, it also kind of gives me a lot of confidence that she should be progressing. And, um, you know, Shmidlova's run has been fairly impressive, but that was also one of the easier sections, you know, especially after she beat, um, of course, Kudermetova. So you can... Um, you can argue for sure that she made this section easy, but I mean, after that, she she kind of had a pretty uh, soft, uh, op- you know, she had an opening there for sure. Yeah. And uh, as much as I uh, I do think that Goff is probably going to beat her again, she hasn't really shown that shown us that she could uh, potentially you know just change something in the in the Shvontek matchup. But you know, let's um, let's see um, how it looks once they get there or if they get there even. A few of the other uh, players. Well, I guess we only haven't haven't really talked about three of them uh, who have made it through on the women's side today. One of them, and this was actually one of the best matches of the event, maybe was uh, Onjaber prevailing yeah. over Olga Danilovic, um, who of course was on that insane hot streak 
of winning um how many was it already Eight, yeah i think nine? 10 matches in a row 10 matches 10 matches in a row, sets in a row. Set. yeah yeah and only yeah. only once she got to seven five against paolini and uh the on the all the other sets she won six four or less or like or easier so um yeah did you think of that one and was it really one of the best matches of the event as many people on twitter i think uh have said yeah i think so i would put it in the top three like you know i don't know if it's the best just because the level did sort of drop off from uh olga as well she did play in the first two sets um in the third jabor was really kind of able to run with it but i think the quality from what i watched was pretty pretty good like you know um some amazing defense from both i thought uh you know the leftiness of Oga and just uh, the ball striking and the the way she was able to really kind of attack uh, the corners against Jabor and just maneuver her around. It was uh, it was tough for Jabor to like have a ton of success with with her variety because Danilovic was doing a really good job from creating off of those low slices and she was really like you know you could tell just very strong, very confident, and so it made it very tough for Jabor. Even when she kept getting breaks in the second set, Oga always found a way to just scrap her way back. Um, but then amazing game for Jabor to break uh, and win the second set. And then I felt like the momentum was really on her side. It reminded me actually a lot of the match that Jabor played against Shelby Rogers at the U.S. Open. Um, I think that was the third round. And it was something very similar. Like she lost the first set, 6-4. And then, you know, Shelby looked like she was hanging with Jabor for most of the second set. And then once Jabor stole the second and then all the momentum was kind of on her side. Um, you felt like she was going to get the job done. So I think this is like really good signs for Jabor because I'm surprised she's actually hit this level fairly quickly because that injury in, uh, to her calf in Stuttgart, that didn't look very good. And she had to miss Madrid and then, you know, had a really tough draw in Rome, drawing Bedosa in the first round. And then, um, yeah, she's looked pretty good here the last three rounds. Like if you look at it overall, she's looked very good. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll, we get that Chiantec, Jabor semifinal now. Um, yeah, I was talking about it with Nick uh, yesterday that in his WTA power rankings, he put her at four, which, uh, well, fourth, which uh, I never would have had her like you know, maybe even in the top 10, frankly. Um, that's that's how I felt about Jabber uh, ahead of the slam. And clearly he has, uh, he was a lot more right than I would have been. Well, maybe yeah. top 10. I mean, I haven't really thought this through. I probably would have gone somewhere in the middle, I probably like, would have had, you know, but... like seven or eight or something, but... Four seemed just very weird to me, and um, I actually told him that yesterday, you know, that, that so far it's definitely looking like you were the guy who, who was correct here. And yeah, it's been a great showing. As you said, it wasn't really as easy as um, you would maybe think, you know, that in order to throw Danilovic of her game, she just needs to, you know, use her magic. It definitely yeah. wasn't like that. It, it, it just doesn't work this way. Uh, but um, I, I did think that she she so far has been looking excellent for sure. And of course, this early after that um, Stuttgart injury, it's also quite good to see. Uh, there was a question, a very tough question yeah. from Jake, I actually have to say about Surenko, <laughs> because um, I, I, I'm assuming that like the, the reason why this conversation was happening for him in Rotterdam was that yeah, the question is just kind of tough, you know. What impresses you most about Surenko's game? And it's it's tough to pinpoint something. I mean, but what would you have to say? Like precision, consistent depth. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like when I watched her a few years ago, I watched her play Bouchard once at Indian Wells, and mm -hmm. those were not the words I was associating with her because she was actually very erratic, like sort of earlier on in her career. Uh, yeah, it happens. You know? It happens. Yeah, 
she was spraying like quite a bit and just I, I felt like she was overhitting a lot of shots. Now I feel like she has a lot more margin and she's actually like her rally tolerance is a lot better and I feel like she's just more like comfortable in her own skin because I felt like she was a player who was kind of underperforming for a few years. Um, but now she's more or less kind of where she should be. So uh so yeah, I don't I don't really know if there's like one thing in particular. Maybe it's just better consistency overall, just more uh yeah just greater margin fewer mistakes yeah just more solid i would say yeah there's definitely players like this on the men's side and on the women's side that um it's just so hard to like just look at them for two minutes and just realize what exactly is good about their games and for sure Surenko is one of them i think uh, sabalenka stevens will probably going to talk about at the end of the show and we're like previewing what um what's going to happen tomorrow but John is having fun again in the in the chat. Anyway, uh, we have not talked about Hadot Maya or Bernarda Pera. Anything about uh, about their uh, victories today? Um, Bernarda Pera, that was uh, that was a really that was a good win for her. I thought that was kind of a 50-50 going in against Cotarito. Okay. Uh, I think I think she's uh, she's kind of more or less where, like I, I figured she should be getting to fourth round. She has that kind of potential, particularly on clay. Especially with how heavy her forehand is, um, and just uh, she's pretty good at like kind of moving the ball around, changing directions. Pretty good returner. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't see too much of this match, so I, I don't really have a great analysis on it. But uh, but yeah, Para is definitely one of those players who should be doing pretty well on on clay in general. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of this either, um, but um, I certainly agree. I mean, I, I am super high on on Para on clay. Uh, of course, last year she won back to back WTA Tour titles, yeah. Uh, but yeah, as you said, I mean that that lefty forehand is just built for this. So um, I I was actually really expecting her to push uh, Shvantec when they played in Madrid. Of course, it didn't really happen, and it was one another one of these instances when. Um, you know, a player looks amazing before she plays Shvantec and then comes out and just, you know, looks like 10% of their abilities, which we've said it many times, but probably a lot of that is on like the unique, at least in the women's game, mix of spin and power that that Shvantec brings to the court. Uh, but certainly um, I, I am also of this opinion that Pera should be doing should be doing runs like this on a regular basis. I mean, most of her matches so far, I guess all of her matches so far in Paris have been like 50-50-ish. Um, yeah. And um, this one probably less so for me. Like I actually thought that she was going to beat Cocheretto, but again, I'm just super high on Pera on clay compared to most people, I think. And um, yeah, glad to see that she she has this run. And of course, Hadat Maya, we've we've also talked about her uh, breaking that third round, finally, uh, breaking that uh, sorry breaking that uh, second round barrier, finally, I'm getting to the third round for the first time. And now she's also gotten much further. Uh, of course, she has been so successful at every other um, level of competition, basically that she also she also deserves to be there. And how is it in the um, how is it in the forefront right now? I mean, Shvantec is playing Suren, Koshmidlovagov, so it seems that um, Soriba Stormo is playing Kanat Maya, right? So that's an that's yeah. an amazing chance for the Brazilian. And Pera Chaber, I would say it's very tough for the Tunisian actually. Like I, I I'm not certain that she's going to progress there, but that should be a very high quality match. Yeah, I still expect Jabor to come through it, um, but I think oh, that lefty forehand is going to be really tough for for Jabor, especially on her backhand wing. 
um, which is going to have to take it a lot more earlier on the rise. Uh, we'll see like what the conditions are like and if they play day or night. But uh, I definitely think, especially if it's in the day and the ball is jumping up, that's going to be tricky. Um, Para has like, always been a nightmare, I think, for players like, for example, Contivate. Every time she plays Contivate, she always seems to have her number. Um, and yeah, she's she's she and uh, Jill Teichman are are players that I always think should do well in Korean. And uh, I think last year Teichman had a good run to the fourth round as well, and this year Para's doing it too. But uh, but yeah, Jake saying that she double faulted on three break points. Yeah. Um, um, all right, and I guess with that, we should go over to the men's side, where we all we actually had eight matches, not seven today, and uh, just one five setter, which maybe isn't uh, what we were used to after the first few days of the of Ron Garros, because this year we've just had so many five setters. Um, but yeah, what was maybe the biggest story of the day when I'm looking at it? You know, most of the favorites pushed through, I suppose. I guess the the one that didn't really was Thiago Sapofield against Nishioka. Did you manage to get um, to see any of this? This was probably one of the first matches, right? So uh, yes, were you I still asleep? See, uh, I, I do know the most important set in this was the second set. Oh, because yeah. uh, because Wield had it 6-3-4-3-40-15, uh, I think. And uh, from that point on, like things got really wild for the rest of that set. So I wild. think that's... Yeah, I <laughs> mean... No pun, no pun intended. But like that's that's where I think we have to start. Like that second set. Like what did you kind of make of the yeah. momentum swings and the, the ups and downs? Because like honestly, Wield could have won this match in straight sets, um, because he, he probably should have won the second set. And you know, so um, yeah, and it like reminded me completely of the, that second set against Medvedev, right? Because that was just exactly the same. He um, he wins the first set. He is in position to win the second, blows it, like just just straight up blows it. And then, of course, the outcome at the end is just different. Against Medvedev, he, it went unpunished. Here, he probably just didn't have that much left in the tank. But I mean, credit to Nishioka as well for just staying in there, fighting. He was definitely great at that today, despite the body language being so negative, as it's been with Nishioka for like the past five months or so. And yeah. also for, uh, like in the fifth set, he was just pulling off some amazing defense, uh, ridiculous gets really. And even when Sablefield was like still forcing himself to actually try to you know, move his feet and, um, and uh, he, he, you know, he, he was trying to, to still do something, but whenever he actually came up with a good shot, despite the, the legs not being that great anymore, uh, Nishoka would just still get it back, and yeah, it was a, a phenomenal effort anyway in these in these last few sets, I think. But um, you're you're perfectly right that like when we're looking back back at this match, it's mostly a missed chance from Sabofield that he, um, well, that he basically blew because of that second set. Um, slightly disappointing for him because I thought that you know right now with the sort of draw that there um, that he had, like there would be no obstacle for him to like. No, that that would be um, that there wasn't anyone who would be like okay he, this guy has to beat Sablefield basically until like what the semis the final <laughs> I'm not saying he would have made it there but he certainly was like one of the contenders so um, quite disappointing for him does Nishioka um, you know sort of have that uh, that, that same um, level of strength on clay I am not convinced so like for the for the event maybe it's not that. Uh, not that amazing that this result happened, but of course for Nishoka it's it's just astonishing, and especially on the surface that he has never really been uh, competent, never been confident on. Um, 
was there anything else here uh, in the chat that we should probably not yet? Um, okay, so um, maybe let's talk about uh, the wins of Rude and Rune, who are on track to meet in the quarterfinals. Um, yeah. One of them lost a set today, the one who probably had the tougher opponent, right? Yeah, I think Rune was... Uh, ex- we pretty much expected Rune to cruise because it was kind of more or less a free third-round match. Um, and then for for Rude, yeah, he uh, he struggled in the first couple of sets against Zhang, but we kind of expected that. Like, Zhang is no slouch. So, uh, but do you think, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I think, more interested in his match against Yari. Yari, actually. I keep saying it with a Y, but it's with a J, according to yeah. his website. I don't understand why it works like that because if you know if you know any Spanish phonetics, it should be Hari. But yeah, he says it Jari, so I also say it like this. But um, I don't really get it why it's that why it's like that. But anyway, never mind. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I was wondering if you saw any of their match in Geneva, because mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah, yeah. you know different type of conditions, obviously with the altitude and much faster. But still, uh, he has he has the kind of weapons that can really bother Rude. So, um, like, yeah. he, just, he just looks so suffocated and rushed for the last two sets of that match. Um, and I actually didn't think Root played bad at all. Like, it was a pretty decent level. Jari was just, uh, Jari was just, you know, unbelievable from the ground and just was rushing Casper's backhand and was serving extremely well down the stretch. But uh, it's going to be tougher probably to maintain that in three out of five. Like, you, you would just expect that Casper would find his way into the, dig his teeth into the match a little bit and just make it really, really physical. Especially if it's a, if it's a day match, you know, maybe Jari can't keep up that level of consistency on his serve. And with the slower balls, like heavier conditions, maybe it'll just favor Root a little bit more. But, but I, I'm not that uh, so convinced. Like it's, uh, it's kind of a really dangerous match still for Root. Like hasn't really shown me that he's at the level that he was at like last year. This, during this year, yeah, that's why I don't think that like when people complained about the roots draw being easy, I wasn't really convinced about this because he keeps meeting power players who like yeah. essentially if they just come out and they have a great day, they can definitely eliminate him, you know. And for a set and a half, Jean was the better player. Of course, in the end, it didn't really end up um, turning into anything. I kind of think that the match against Jari might be fairly similar. I know he has just this much. Paul and Giron and like you know players who really can keep the ball in play and um, that's already more than I think I, I expected from him like at least not uh, with this sort of ease that he has done it uh, because well um, most of his appearances this year other than fast clay they were pretty like average if not even very mediocre so um, yeah I, I was not sure that he was going to take this to Paris in the match in Geneva, you know, he was basically unbreakable <laughs> in that one. Uh, I yeah. think Ruth broke him in the in the first set, and then um, eventually, maybe in the third, when he was actually down yeah. a break He's in the break decider. Back. But like most of the games, Jari was just untouchable, and um, it's not going to be quite this here, quite this situation here. So I, I I am maybe thinking that it could be similar done against um, you know as against Zhang where. Um, Jari comes out. There's certainly some sort of um, yeah, to just maybe an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two hours that are really close. Then maybe Root starts getting a bit of a better read. Maybe Jari can only dominate in the points that um, are, are happening on his serve because that's essentially what happened today against Zhang. 
where um, after the first two sets, he only really uh, controlled the points that he like produced a great advantage in with his serve. On on Root's serve, there was like no play whatsoever anymore. He was just working him out easily and not allowing him, even despite all that brute power that Zhang has and Chari also certainly has. He was still not allowing him to attack if not if if you know if the serve if the point wasn't already set up by the serve. Um to whom are we? Um well th- there's a there's a question in the chat about how can you talk about the game if you don't actually watch the game? Not sure which um yeah, which, which of us or which match you're referring to because we certainly watched um well if, if we if we didn't watch and if we didn't watch something we were saying that um, but um, of course, we're not talking about matches we we didn't watch, and um, yeah, I kind of think that the conditions here still make Root favorite. But it's just one, another one of these matches, right, where he plays a power player who can certainly kick him out. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I still make him favorite. It's not a controversial opinion, I know. Oh, Iga, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I sort of straight up admitted I didn't I didn't watch that. Uh, you know. Oh, he he said it, yeah, yeah, and he didn't yeah. like go into detail on on that match. So, you know, we cannot watch sixteen uh, matches uh, <laughs> in one day. That's basically impossible. Um, yeah, anything um, on Runa? You said that it was basically like super easy and a free win, right? No, yeah, nothing to much. nothing to write home about. Yeah, I think that was uh, well. That that was just quite funny. That uh, today on Shatria, of course. Rybakina withdrew, then you had Świątek winning in 50 minutes, Runa beating Olivieri. Uh, of course, they added doubles at least. So that's um, that's something that um, definitely helped the experience, but still not a great ticket today, Filip Chatrier. Um, and uh, well, yeah. that's mostly on, because of Rybakina's withdrawal. Like if Rybakina was still there and played against Ribes Tormo, uh, it wouldn't be nowhere near as disastrous, but yeah, Rune Olivieri certainly played its part in, in the fact that it never really had a chance to be competitive. Um, anyway, uh, Rune, Rude, as we as we already said, will play Jari, of course. There's also um, Rune who's going to play Franz Rudo. Uh, yeah. Was that uh, was that some sort of a surprise for you that the Argentinian prevailed? And how do you like his chances against the Dane? I didn't. It wasn't a surprise that he won. Um, you know, you just figured that on with his type of forehand and just his his confidence at the minute and also just, uh, yeah, what a great player he is on clay. I just thought uh, he had a decent chance of beating Fritz. Um, so I wasn't too surprised. I thought it was a pretty good match. I, I did enjoy watching it quite a bit. Um, I think he'll definitely have a chance. The only thing is that I think Runa is going to be able to counterpunch his way out of a lot of problems against Sarundolo. And... Sorindo, although he was great in this match for stretches where his forehand was, you know, unplayable. And Fritz Fritz is not the same caliber of mover and defender as Runa. So he's going to be able to get a lot more balls back in play. He's going to be able to, you know, with really good depth. And Runa is so versatile with his defense that I think it's going to be, he's going to be able to go into that wall mode uh, at the same time, just, you know, match his power as well on his own forehand. And it's going to be really tough for Sorindo to maintain that level, I think, for three out of five sets. Um, Runa might have some own dip, some of his own dips as well. It could go four or five, but um, yeah, I I don't think uh, I don't think I'm seeing the upset there, but uh, it could get could get interesting. Yeah, Runa has certainly had a bit of a weird event so far, right? I mean, pushed by Eubanks on clay, 
then he gets a walkover and then he plays Olivieri, who, I mean, just had one of the easiest draws I've seen, honestly, to a Grand Slam third round. Yeah. Um, especially given that Favasori was just like ultra tired after the, the match that he had with Kecmanovic, because maybe if Favasori was like fully healthy, uh, fully fit, I would probably expect him to, to beat Olivieri, actually. I don't know how I feel, though. I'm kind of in two minds, because on the one hand, I think this could be really good for Rona. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if we were questioning his stamina and physical durability when you get a walkover and you have an easy third round, like, that certainly helps him, right? Like, conserve energy for the rest of the event. But also, like, could it be bad that, like, he just hasn't had any tests and, like, maybe he will just go into this match undercooked? Uh, and all yeah. we basically have is, like, that Eubanks effort where he did, like, pick up his level a lot in the fourth set. And he in crunch time, he stepped it up in the, in the break or in the third. And, uh, you know, overall was the better player. but. I, I tend know. to think that maybe it doesn't matter that much because he already played so many matches this clay season. Mm. Like maybe it would have been more impactful if he, I don't know, just had two events and did not go that deep into them. But yeah, I, I, I do get that sort of um, discard, you know, that, that it is some sort of a debate that um, maybe it could actually end up hurting him. Can it end up hurting him against Serundolo? I'm not sure. And like, yeah, I, I think this would be a good match to like sort of ease his way into the um, the potential quarterfinal against Ruud. Of course, a very different forehand there. Uh, so I'm not really saying that the matchups would be similar. It's just, you know, just would be a nice workout, nice test to get him going. And yeah, with Rune's um, ongoing fitness issues, it's actually quite good for him to, to have an easy couple of rounds right as well um i actually have a question to you about taylor fritz because mm-hmm. i remember us talking after monte carlo where he made yeah. the semis and like being really excited for the rest of his clay season because in the year 2022 he um of course only played only was able to play um ron garros after uh, what was it monte carlo monte carlo as well yeah, um, no, I think he just played Monte, Monte Carlo, Carlo and then and then Ron Garros, right? Yeah. And this year, of course, he oh, after Monte Carlo, he was able to play Munich, Madrid, Rome, Geneva, and the French Open. And um, yeah, was this like not counting Monte Carlo? Was the rest of the clay season for Fritz? You know, was it a disappointment? Wasn't exactly what you expected? Did you um, think that he was capable of more? How do you how do you rate that rest of the clay season, discounting Monte Carlo? And especially like taking uh, into consideration the the expectations that you had for him after Monte Carlo semi. Yeah, I think after the Monte Carlo semis, I thought he had a decent chance of like with a good draw getting to the quarters. I didn't really see him like winning the title or being like one of the main contenders. But I I, I did say his results. I will say his results after that were slightly disappointing, just because there were a few matches in there that, you know, he certainly had all the chances in the world to close out, um, and. You know, you could certainly say the the opponents were were peaking in those moments, like Ji Zheng Zhang in Madrid, for example. Um, that was more on Zhang than it was on Fritz. But you know, if you're a player of his caliber, like he should be getting through those type of types of matches more regularly. Um, on the flip side, like I, I mean, yeah, then he had a slightly disappointing loss in Rome to Hoffman. It ended up aging well because like Hoffman ended up getting to the quarters, but. Uh, and then there was also the match that slipped away against uh, Dimitrov in Geneva as well. Um, but this one, I just, I, I, I feel like his, uh, I like the changes that he's made, like adaptations he's made to his game on clay, but it's just not enough, you know? Like, I feel like he's done a good job of like recognizing, oh, I need to go back on the return of serve and give myself a bit more time and put some more air underneath my ground strokes and, oh, I need to add the drop shot because 
you know, my I can hit the ball pretty hard. And then when my opponent is way, you know, 10 feet back from the baseline, I can I can throw in the dropper and doesn't even need to be that good. So he's done those things pretty well. But I will say also, like, as good as his forehand is, he doesn't hit great angles off of it a lot of the time. It's very, like, linear, straight-up fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. that, that seems to work really well on grass, on hard courts. And that's where I would have, like, much higher expectations for him. Like, I certainly am expecting a, a good grass court season and would expect a lot more from him at the U.S. Open, where I feel like he's underperformed the most, um, not been past the third round. But uh, but here I just felt like it was going to get his his uh, athleticism and movement and some of those weaker areas were going to get exposed by Sarandolo because Sarandolo is just so versatile on his forehand. I think like if you take look at the players outside the top ten, I think he might have the best forehand, particularly on clay when it, when it's on, um, because yeah, just can hit these amazing angles with it, passing shots, on the run shots. Uh, it's just really really versatile, like defensively, offensively. Maybe less so, but still pretty adept. And he has a very, very good drop shot too. And Fritz was uh, was struggling on those cat and mouse points as well. So, yeah, I think I think on overall, I think it was a it was definitely an improvement from previous years, but like not enough to where like could really say like oh he's a he's a contender to win big titles on clay, right? Yeah, I think that's why probably Ghosty said that despite not liking clay, he Serundola uh, makes him appreciate it because well. That forehand is not really a clay weapon, right? Like it, it, it is most effective on clay. Yeah. He is most effective on. Like, it. look at the match he played against Rafa last year in Wimbledon. Yeah, you know? it was Wimbledon such a when weapon. fires up for like a set and is just unplayable. And yeah, that can happen in any conditions. So I think that's why you probably uh, love France and the horse forehand because it's just not a clay weapon. You know, yeah. basically, it's it's just all surface thing and it's just so huge and maybe isn't an even a necessarily clayish stroke in the like the most um, common sense of it and yeah i would totally second what you said on um the the fritz clay season like it wasn't uh, disappointing it was okay if we um if you just asked me about like to compare my expectations from before the clay season i would say it was really quite good but yeah after Monte Carlo I I would say I expected a tiny bit more but it's not yeah. it's not a big edge it's it's not something that really um you know is a, is going to be a big um <laughs> liability or like weakness of his season when we look at it in November or wherever um, but yeah. it certainly was a just a tiny bit disappointing kind of curious um, where he's at in the race because I think he's pretty Pretty um, top ten ish, I think. Top ten still. I think he's. I think right he now. is like top ten ish. Yeah. Um, yeah, number eight, uh, three hundred points ahead of Kachanov, who needs two more wins, I think, to to overcome him. So you know that kind of tells you that no damage has been done, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, other guys who played, for example, uh, well, Daniel Atmaier, after that fantastic upset against Yannick Sinner, did not really deliver. Uh, but I guess that's quite normal as well, right? After five hours yeah. and after playing the best match of your life. Yeah, I was I was expecting Dimitrov to win it actually. I, I mean, maybe maybe not as comfortably as he did, but I was expecting a Dimitrov win, just because of like you said, like five hours five hours twenty five minutes against Sinner. Like uh, a letdown was just kind of inevitable. Like when you have such a career high like that, and Dimitrov is just going to make you work so hard on these slow courts particularly at night, just hitting through him, I, I imagine would be quite a nightmare. Um, but yeah, I think like overall it was, 
you know, maybe the first set was the tightest in this match because he certainly had, you know, he broke back and it was for all at one point and you thought, okay, you know, maybe this could go to a tie break. But uh, Hoffman, I mean, so sorry, not, not Hoffman, no, Altmaier, uh, I still think he has some work to do on his forehand. Like, I love his backhand, you know? And it's like, it's such a weapon on clay. It's like maybe one of the best one-handers, maybe like him and Musetti on clay right now is like top-notch on in terms of like, power and spin and what they can actually do like just offensively but sometimes like when Altmaier steps into his forehand you know he just doesn't uh isn't potent enough with it and just doesn't have the quite you know that confidence and that hurts him on other surfaces as well like his forehand is kind of a liability on hard courts so uh yeah once he fixes that oh, he's gonna be like such an elite player I think like I don't know if he'll be top 20 but you know certainly be in like that 20 through 40 range for sure right yeah, I mean, last few years, he's also improved his serve a lot. Like, there there were some indoor matches when he was just unbreakable, basically, especially in, like, the, um, the Challengers in the States. Uh, Mexico as well, he played very well at um, not these uh, 2,000 meters altitude things, but, like, Puerto Vallarta or... Um, yeah, I think I just mostly mean Puerto Vallarta, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, he, he has been developing just today, kind of had to be a letdown, but, yeah. well... Um, that's how it is. And um, two other matches that we haven't mentioned were like, I mean, Echeverri over George was just so easy that it kind of yeah. doesn't stick with me because, yeah, it was just so clean. Of course, in the second set, he had a moment when he could have easily finished that set earlier. But in the end, it actually um, didn't change much. Like maybe it was that sort of match like uh, Nishioka Sabofield, right? Where uh, if he if he Sabofield wins that second set after kind of choking, he probably takes it in straights. Echeverri did win that second set after kind of choking and took it in straights. And of course, the last match of the day on Philippe Chatrier was Sfer FTFO, which I guess was one of the highlights of today as well. Yeah, I guess so. Um, not the greatest match to watch, just because, uh, you know, slow nighttime conditions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, they were, there weren't that many amazing rallies or anything like that, but uh, I figured like the longer the match was going to go, I figured that Zverev was just going to uh, out-physical Tiafo, and that's like kind of what ended up happening. And he was just stronger in the breakers. Uh, he probably Tiafo probably should have closed out the fourth set. Yeah, know, I think that's the main, there, that's like, the main takeaway. Yeah. And he played a shocker of a game. He was 30 love up. And yeah, he just kind of donated the break back. And that was because, you know, Zverev threw in a couple of gifts as well in the eighth game. And he had game points and he had a double fault and he was getting really, really tight towards the end. And Tiafo like couldn't quite take advantage. So that was disappointing. Uh if you're a Francis fan, because yeah, and I think he was even up a mini break in the second set, but uh, after that, like Zverev uh, stepped up his game. And then and then Tiafo went up a break in the third as well, and then he lost six games in a row. And he kind of just let that set go after a while, and Zverev was just getting tougher and tougher to hit through with his defense. Uh, with these slower, heavier, yeah, slower balls, and they fluff up so much, it becomes really, really slow, especially at night. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Francis was just trying to get to the net as much as he could, and uh, it worked. Uh, you know, at some points, I definitely think he had a surge on the fourth side. I wish he had capitalized on it, and then you know, maybe we, we could have seen a more entertaining finish in the fifth. But uh, yeah, at the same time, you know, maybe maybe glad that it was over in four because. Otherwise, you know, we might still be watching that match and then this would get so delayed. This is what we're doing in the show right now, right? 
Yeah, we would be starting the the last ball drop maybe maybe by this um, by this moment maybe we actually still would have been watching a fifth tiebreak. But yeah, I think the main takeaway was just really Tiafoe uh, not stepping up in that fourth set in the key moments at all. There was also that one in the tiebreaker when he had um I, I think he played a forehand drop shot and Zverev just barely caught it. it was basically oh, yeah. out of the court and Tiafoe just dumps a volley into the net. It wasn't maybe the easiest volley I've ever seen, but still, like with your opponent out of the court and with no chance, um, they they do get fluffier. Uh, they get fluffier. Yeah. Like you can see the fluff, yeah. like when the players are holding the ball. It's it's been a it's been a topic since the beginning of the of Ron Garros that players have been complaining about this. Today, for example, in Jean against Ruud, um, Jean uh, Ruud at the, um, like in the mm-hmm. second set or maybe at the end of the first was um, talking about it with the umpire for quite a long time. Uh, I think um, it kind of shows that uh, someone like Jean wasn't really bothered with it because he just like has all the raw power to hit through fluffy balls anyway. But for Ruth, they were actually kind of hampering him. And yeah, you're very right that in these night conditions, um, I mean, it, it's not it's not because of actually like clay. It's not. It doesn't happen all the time. It's something with these particular balls. That is actually making Wilson, them fluff Wilson up balls, very, right? Yeah. Wilson balls, and I actually heard Alcaraz say that uh, you know somebody asked him if there's one thing you could change in tennis, you know what would it be? And he said we should play with the same ball every week. And that's a very good, uh, <laughs> that's yeah, a very he, good answer. I, I, I love that answer, and he didn't even think; he just said it right away, like it was yeah. just on top of his mind. It should be like this, you know, the 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 tennis ball that the tournament is playing with. It shouldn't really be a factor, I think. Then again, maybe you could argue that if some if some players just didn't like the balls that the two, whole tour played with, then they would be at a disadvantage. But I think they would probably uh, manage to you know just um, get get a grip on them after a while. So, um, so yeah. Um, but but it is uh, certainly the case that the balls at Ron Garros uh, do get fluffy very very quickly, and yeah, night conditions definitely hurt uh, Tiafo more than uh, Zverev. Uh, even on the on serve, like you, you can't really see the difference in how Zverev serves. I think at night, and yeah. Tiafo, it's it, it was certainly neutralized, especially when you compare it to the Karatsev match that he played. Um, and um, yeah, I guess that would be really most of uh, most of the things that have happened today, right? We we have covered it all, so we can probably talk about um, just you know just a short preview for tomorrow. Yeah. We actually get a night session women's match. Any comment yeah. on that, or do we just skip this topic because it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of overplayed. Been, but at the same time, like the whole week, you know, over six, over seven, like people have just sort of been counting it down. But uh, I think I saw Ben Rothenberg say that you know either make it on make it a men's match every single day, or you know start the session earlier and put two matches there. Um, so you know, I've I've seen all different types of opinions. The tennis podcast seems to be extremely angry about it, like every single day. Um, <laughs> But, you know, this is this is if they were going to choose one, this is a good match. So I think, uh, I think and the they, were, they were always going to do one, right? Like, Just in order to like being, avoid being a hour double bagel or something. You know, that's that was always going to be a risk with the women's match anyway. But I think, yeah. uh, I think this one will be will be a, a great option. Even though I would say you know Alcaraz Musetti is is up there too, but this is yeah, this is going to be one of the matches to watch for sure tomorrow. Yeah, I, I also have very mixed feelings about this. Like clearly the, the match session, the night sessions are like basically pointless 
they should probably scrap them altogether if they actually have to have them for some reason, you know, just to make more money. I would definitely welcome just putting two matches there every single day. And that would be the best, um, I think, for everyone. There would be no talk about, you know, um, who gets favored or who doesn't. At the same time, yeah, I very much agree with, like, understand that the organizers want to put men's matches there. They are simply longer. It's not as much of a risk. Um, but, yeah, in the end, it might it might turn up okay with this one, actually. Uh, they also started the day session on Shatria earlier because of that. One thing, I guess, that, um, well, the hot ticket, says Sean, what does that mean if something is a hot ticket, like, it, that it gets resailed or, you know? Oh yeah, one no, other thing is also these matches are wants kind to of buy advertised. It? Like the night session is supposed to be like what they think is the match of the day. Because yeah, but like um, it's actually one of the worst tickets in tennis, right? Because you only yeah. get one match and it is horribly overpriced. At and the also, same like, time, if you're also, a player, do you really want to play at night? Like it's one of the worst conditions possible to play. Like, you know, we were just talking about slow, you know, heavy, fluffy balls. Like, I don't think the players really want to play at night, you know? Uh, Men or yeah. women, like it's a, a lot of them don't want to. Yeah, that's how it sounded to me that hot tickets should be a good ticket, but because of because of the like the phrasing of the question and how it's really not not a hot ticket at all. Like it's actually one of the worst things you can buy, I think, with with <laughs> with your money at Ron Garros. And at the same time, um, a lot of tickets today, when it was announced that Sabalenka and Stevens was going were going to play um, oh, in yeah. the night session, they went to resale. That's mm. not great either. And, um, well, especially for, for the people who are of the opinion that, you know, they should be putting more women's matches in. If we really get, like, very little crowd tomorrow on Sabalenka Stevens, that's not going to be, um, you know, that, that's not going to be a great look for them. But anyway, let's stop talking about this now. And uh, certainly Sabalenka Stevens, Jake wanted to talk about this one too. Um, and I agree with him that the conditions do favor Stevens. And Nick asked me, um, Nick asked Nick asked me this question yesterday, and basically it was about like who from the bottom half do you think has like the best matchup against Sapalenka? Who can actually threaten her? And I think it's Stevens. I don't think Svitolina or Kasatkina have like a real shot against um, against Sabalenka. I think they are just going to be overpowered. Uh, I kind of tend to think that maybe uh, Muhova could have a shot, but I, I'm not sure I really like the matchup. I yeah. think the two that, that have the best chance against her, just stylistically, are Pavlyuchenkova, who has already beaten her the, at the French two years ago, and, you know, just has a power game that would sort of allow her to match um, Sabalenka at least, yeah, at least in that, maybe not necessarily in the level of execution right now. Um, and also Stevens. Stevens, you know, she just played Putinceva, which was a, which was a very tough match for her because it's always tough for Stevens when she's playing like another counterpuncher. She just doesn't maybe know how to win points then, and basically it becomes like this huge dogfight and uh, and the slugfest against Sabalenka. This is something that is really natural for her. She is going. She exactly like uh, she's going to come out onto the court with a game plan and it's not even going to be like a huge game plan i think it's just going she's just going to have to play whatever comes natural for her and for that reason i think it actually might be closer than you know people uh, expect and definitely the night conditions should help her at least in a, in to some extent so um yeah, I, I am definitely of the opinion that it is going to be quite interesting tomorrow and Stevens playing the way she has been so far and in yeah, just against an opponent that 
her game uh, really maybe com matches up decently against, you know, no matter what the level is. I'm not talking about the level. Of course, Sabalenka has been a thousand times better than Stevens this year. But um, yeah, I think she could really do some damage here. Yeah, I think you summed it up well in, in terms of like when you're talking about the different players in the draw that could challenge Sabalenka. Stevens for me is right up there. Uh, just because, like, she, you know, she likes to play so much on instinct, and this is a really good match for her to kind of do that against because, you know, she can just soak soak up all the pace that Sablanka throws at her, drop back in her court position, just, like, use her good defense and, like, really good, uh, uh, I guess, counter-punching skills and just uh, just make life really, really difficult and make it make Sablanka hit several, several balls to finish off points. Whereas against Putin Seva, it's kind of, like, a completely different matchup. <laughs> completely different like it couldn't be more opposite um but these night conditions i think are are, are definitely going to help her she'll have to serve well that's for sure and they'll get you know maybe tougher like holding serve will be probably a challenge but i think uh if she can work her way into some longer points kind of use her variation like use you know mix up the heights and spins she does that really well and uh and also pretty comfortable like attacking when she's you know, I, like when she builds up a good lead and she gets some momentum going, she can be pretty tough to to spot. And her footwork is like very smooth and effortless. So I think uh, this will this will be challenging for for Sabalenka. I think this is the first time she's made the fourth round, but it felt like one of those stats that uh, like eventually was going to happen, kind of like Felix winning a title last year. Okay. Um, but but yeah, this is this is the ultimate test I think for for Sabalenka. If she comes through this at night against a good version of Stevens, then we can start talking about her as like, uh, like, oh, she could win this title, you know? Yeah. Or at least like, yeah, she has an overwhelming chance to get to the finals. That, that's what I'm going to say tomorrow. But then again, with Sabalenka and head-to-heads, I don't put that much stock on them just because she is like a different player this year. Like she is much better this year than, than previous years. So I think like, I don't know if you can read too much into it. Like, but I will say, like, the fact that all three went to three sets um, and that they were fairly close, I don't think they've played on clay either. So, yeah, like, not too much to read into it, but it's, I just wanted to throw that out there. I feel like a lot of the time we're just saying the same things, but just kind of rephrasing them. And I actually have to say that what you just said is what I said to Nick yesterday, because he, he was like giving me this whole um, sort of statistical analysis of the fact that when, um, when an, uh, a WTA player wins a Grand Slam for the first time, unless it's like her first appearance there or her second appearance there, she usually wa like had a couple of deep runs there in the past. So let's say a fourth round or a quarter final. And um, I remember like it made sense. Like he he gave me Sofia yeah. Kenyon as an example of a player who didn't really have that. You know, had a couple of uh, French Open appearances and never went deep. So he basically said that it's unlikely for Sabalenka to win this because she uh, played the French Open a few times, didn't go deep, and that's why it's unlikely for her to win this. Like, at first, I just kind of told him that like these arguments, I generally don't buy them, but also that Sabalenka's 2023, like everything is just so much different. Everything doesn't fit the pattern. So yeah. I, I don't yeah, think it really makes... She played, she played yeah. Donna Beckage, right, at the Australian Open. I think their head-to-head -head was like 5-1 going into that. It didn't matter, like, in the, in the quarterfinal, right? It was... Six three six two for Sabalenka, and you could just see right away like it. It's not. It's not really something that even enters these players' minds, um, especially when you're like that different and you're like that much more confident in your abilities. 
think unless it's like a real matchup issue, you know, a big matchup edge. But um, in in that case, Sabal and Kavakic, I don't think there was ever really one. But this is a perfect segue to talk about Svitolina Kasatkina because we have a six love head to head there yeah. for Svitolina. And does that matter? Is there a matchup edge there? Is there something that um, you know makes Svitolina just so much better in in, the, in in their matches against Kasatkina, or just the fact you know that in the past um, four years I think they only played once, uh, just met and just mean that um, yeah, it doesn't matter at all. And tomorrow is just a blank page for them. I think so. Also, because Svitolina hasn't wasn't on the tour for like over a year, so now you're going to start looking at matches from two three years ago where, you know. Like Kazakina wasn't wasn't as good in 2021, 2019 through 2021 as she was in 2018 and 2022, right? So it's like it's kind of like you know they weren't playing their best at the same time. And I, I guess you could say like you know Svitolina probably has some matchup advantages. She can protect her second serve better and stuff like that. But but I've been actually very impressed by the way Kazakina is playing this whole whole week, right? I mean we said that one we we, we both were of the opinion that one Rusova was. Like it was going to be a close match, but one Drusova would probably end up having the edge. And actually, it turned out Kazakina was the more proactive player. She was the one stepping in and controlling, di- dictating play a lot more. And you know, uh, and she crushed Peyton Stearns, which I wasn't expecting either. I thought Stearns would put up a, a pretty good fight, and we'd have a really great contrast of styles, and we'd have all these amazing highlight reel points. <laughs> like Kazakina had that amazing tweener that she had against one Drusova, which was blowing up. But uh, but she just seems to be just in like the pressure is totally off even though she's defending a semi-final which is like you know it, it, it made up a huge chunk of her points last year but i think uh this will be a totally clean state uh, in terms of in terms of this match and actually you know it's it could be very interesting i'm trying I'm, i think i'm slightly leaning towards kazakina but um yeah i mean what do you what do you think in terms of like who has a who has an edge going in yeah, I think uh, if she plays like against Vondrousova, where she indeed was the more proactive player, she was really hitting her forehand very aggressively. I think this is something that can really turn the matchup around in her in her favor. Plus, also there's the added sort of um, aspect of Svitolina winning Strasbourg, uh, having a lot more time on the court as well in Paris. I think Kasatkina is actually a pretty sizable favorite. And yeah, the way she's been playing this week, she might be like one of the most, uh, at least like to the general public, I think, overlooked players so far. Um, I mean, before the slam, she was certainly overlooked by me, but that's mostly because I just thought Vondrousova was so strong. And I mean, everyone thought that um, Vondrousova was like a pretty massive favorite for the bookies in that much. So um, it, it, it wasn't really just us. But um, yeah, the way she played against Vondrousova, especially, I think that I think this is a pretty... Well, it's not a similar matchup, but yeah, just the dynamics of play will probably be fairly similar in that I think in the past, probably Kasatkina struggled in this one because, well, she just couldn't maybe really um, yeah, be on top of the rallies, control the point against Svitolina. It was also a bit of a, you know, Stevens against another counterpuncher type of thing where uh, they kind of played a similar thing, but in the past Svitolina used to be much better at this. Yeah. I don't think it, it really holds up right now. So yeah, I, I would say I would say Kasatkina can definitely do it. Um, no, I mean Ghosty definitely not um, not an accident that Kasatkina and Jaber are doing well at Rangaros. Um, these sort of styles are always going to be uh, a bit better on clay than on other surfaces. But of course, all of the you know both these players are actually very versatile too. So yeah, 
but they're yeah, Roland Garros. They're both no pretty good natural surface players. Like they can transfer over that. Oh yeah. Style to the grass as well, and it seems to work pretty pretty well. Um, yeah, and on the women's side, there's also a couple of other matches. Are you are you excited for Muhova Avanesian or Pavlyuchenkova Mertens? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see sort of how it, how it looks like. I haven't watched too much of Avanesian actually. Uh, I saw like the very end against Hassan, but I don't have such a great read on her as a as a player. Like I, I just don't have that. Uh, the like as much knowledge like I didn't expect her to get to the fourth round. Um, she lost in the first in the third round of qualifying, and then she had that win over Benchich. So I'm kind of I'm kind of fascinated to see that you know just so I can gather some more data about Evan Neeson. I I was impressed by Mukova beating uh, Begu very easily. Begu is a pretty decent player actually on the surface, and I thought that might be more challenging for Mukova. I still expected Mukova to win, um, but I'd be surprised if Mukova lost tomorrow. That's for sure. I think she's a pretty sizable favorite. Uh, Martins and uh, Pavlyuchenkova is going to be very fascinating. Actually, it's uh, that's kind of a tough one to call. Actually, like that's very 50-50, I think. I don't know who I'd give the edge to um, in that one. I was impressed with Martins against Pagula. Then again, I thought that, like uh, you know Pagula's lack of uh, preparation coming into this tournament certainly had to be a factor in that result. Uh, along with Martins, of course, like really stepping up and just playing offensive tennis. Looked like Pagula was really undecisive and on the back foot for most of that match. I never really found a way in it. But um, I'm interested to see this, to see Martins plumbing Jankova because Martins is always one of those sneaky players who just always seems to get to the fourth round. She had that amazing streak, I remember, at one point where she made like 18 consecutive third rounds at majors, which is actually pretty hard to do. That means she's pretty upset proof. Um, but yeah. Uh, and they haven't played each other in like over six years. So I think that makes it even harder to call. Yeah, I think today I was checking um, I was checking the head-to-heads ahead of tomorrow's uh, Challenger finals. And uh, Gakov and Ferreira Silva, I see that Gakov is leading 1-0. One, one and I'm like, oh, oh, I have to check it. You know, maybe it, it influences my judgment in any way. And then I realized it's a futures from uh, 2013. So yeah, probably not going to matter that much. Uh, anyway, um, speaking of this, uh, yeah, probably chunk of Mertens, I have nothing to add really. It seems as fifty as fifty as of as much of a fifty-fifty as they as they come. Probably Chenkova, like with the higher upside, cons- Mertens with the consistency. I don't really know. And yeah, yeah. Um, I would have bet on that match for sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't definitely not, unless you just like you know fifty f- getting a fifty-fifty and like yeah, just make, and, unless you like roulette. Then, yeah. then, then you can do it. And Avanesian, uh, Avanesian Moonbolt toss into death. I just don't know if against Muhova it's really a, a strat that can really, um, yeah, help her survive. You know, um, Tossen uh, still so much less experience than Muhova, so much less variety as well. Even if the easy power is definitely a lot bigger, so I think it's a style that's not gonna um, work out against Muhova, and she probably will have to be for like she will be forced to look for something else and i'm not sure she will find it so but of course everyone is like considering muhova to be a big favorite there and yeah on the on the men's side we have four matches as well uh, i yeah. think at least one of them does not look exciting at all and especially yes. also because of the scheduling i actually hate it like i don't understand how they can put varia second i know it's not their fault that he um, that he, well, basically went to a fifth set in every single match he played and also finished at, like, midnight yesterday. But, 
still, if you can do it, like if you can give him a little more time and ensure a better quality of the match while not wrecking the schedule, I think you should you should do it. You know, I I can't really understand why they would put him second on. Yeah, that's that's strange because he finished so late in that you know day before yesterday against yeah. Hubi, so that makes sense. And also, I thought this would be the one match that Djokovic would play on Longland. So okay, you know, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like this this match is not very interesting, honestly. Djokovic, Varias, I don't see this being challenging at all. Uh, like just the odds are so against the Peruvian, uh, and also he's coming off of fifteen sets. Played in two two sets of comebacks and one uh, win against Hubie in five sets as well. But yeah, that's like the least interesting match. This this will be like a two three and three type scoreline probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like Varias had a lot of had many chances. Like anyway, right? Like it, I don't think he can realistically do it. But I think they they this definitely even lowers that percentage that he had against Djokovic. Um, otherwise, of course, we have Kachanov, Sonego, Ofner, Tsitsipas, and Alcaraz, Musetti, which are th- I think are all to an extent quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, Kachanov, Sonego, like, it, it's not quite Pavlyuchenko, Vamerten's levels in terms of being close, but it's certainly you know the, the match of the day that on paper feels the um, well feels, feels the tightest. I do have a sus- well. I don't think it's a it's a sneaking suspicion. It's actually pretty clear to me that like Ofner will not go down with without a fight. I think he is just stylistically so much tougher for Tsitsipas than like Schwartzman or Kerbais by an hour. He is going to uh, at least have some free points, you know, with his power game, with his serve, and uh, just put pressure on Tsitsipas that Kerbais by and Schwartzman were absolutely unable to do. I don't think he can really win this match. Um, I'm not sure he has like the tactical discipline to just keep himself so steady and also you know target the weaknesses in Tsitsipas's game for at least three sets. But I do think that it will be pretty close. And you know, Alcaraz Musetti, everyone is waiting for this. Yeah, I could see Offner like winning a set or yeah, getting to a tie two break. tie breaks, one yeah. tie break. Yeah, getting a set. Yeah, actually, so. the second set is usually the one where you you see maybe Sitsipas's level drop just a little bit, and the opponent usually raises his. Um, yeah, like so many matches I've seen, Sitsipas just like wins the first set six three, in like standard 30, 35 minutes, and then has a slight dip at the start of the second or somewhere middle of the second, and the opponent starts to get a handle on sort of how to how to attack the weaknesses and then things get a little bit more complicated, but usually Steph figures it out and finds a way through. So I see this as like very similar. Um, yeah. And how about Alcaraz Musetti? You know, this is the big one. This is the one that everyone yeah. is, is waiting for um, after how great Musetti has been looking the, the the first few rounds. Is it really going to be that, uh, that close? Is it really going to be a match where we see what uh, Alcaraz is made of? Because even when um, when Alcaraz was supposed to play Shapovalov, there were a lot of people who were thinking, okay, this is the match where he gets pushed. And of course, that didn't really happen. Yeah, but Shapovalov is just not in the same class anymore, you know, in terms of, like, he's not really serious. Like, he was never seriously going to be a threat. I think that was more out of hope than, uh, you know, and people wanting a close match rather than actually believing it. I mean, that's kind of what played out, right? Like, I mean... Shapovalov had that one burst at the start of the 
second set and then he really like could not maintain his level and double faulted a lot of his breaks back and uh, and then Alcaraz really just like was at a different totally different class and it, it felt like you know one serious contender and one and someone who was who has a lot of talent and potential but you know has a, a lot of work to do still to you know get anywhere close to let's say even the level that he was at when he you know pushed Djokovic a little bit at Wimbledon but like it's not uh Whereas Musetti, I feel like, is in a much different place. Like, he's coming in with a, a good chunk of matches and form. And he's actually, like, you know, he was very impressive against Nori, even though Nori, like, I thought, played pretty poorly the first two sets. But even when Nori started to come back at him, you know, Musetti showed his full array of skills and he's been hitting his forehand really well. These conditions suit him to a tee, I think. And pretty much only elite players like Djokovic and Tsitsipas in five sets have knocked him off so far at Roland Garros. So I like the confidence that he's coming with it with. And I do think he had a real strategy against uh, Alcaraz when they played in Hamburg and he could sustain it, you know, for two out of three sets. Now the question is, will he be able to do that in three out of five? And I tend to think it's going to be harder. Like, you know, I, that's why I, I don't think he'll pull off the upset, but uh, a set would not shock me at all. And uh, maybe even, maybe even two sets if, if Alcaraz is, uh, you know, starting to get a little too trigger happy. That could certainly happen. So I'm probably somewhere in between it being like a classic and a straight set demolition. Yeah, um, Ghosty, it's not my tweet. So it wasn't me who put the flag next to Kachanov's name. So thankfully, I, I am free from Ursula von der Leyen. And uh, she's not going to... Um, get my ass anyway uh jake was also asking about like uh, unsettling disrupting carlos tactically the past few opponents he struggled with so like maroshan struf rusuvori they were all just rushing him right and he he had no idea what to do like he was playing their game he wasn't actually using his assets but actually trying to just also finish the points very early is that something maybe I, I do agree that Musetti also has and you know a chance with just how varied his play is. And I think this is also something that could still still disrupt um Alcaraz, probably more so than like what was often um yeah, in 2022 he was often pushed by like good defenders. That doesn't seem to work that much anymore. But Musetti, you know, he's got every single shot in the book basically and he he can be a good defender but at the same time you know he can throw some junk on the next point and on the on the next one he can serve and volley or you know just um hit some hit, hit a violent uh backhand down the line so i think that makes him pretty tough for him as well and um i am excited for it because um we have even though we've seen this match twice um trieste 2020 and hamburg 2022 it certainly feels like, especially with yeah, just the the repertoire that they have, how wide they, how wide it is for both guys. There is still so much to discover in this matchup. Um, even though we've seen this twice, I don't feel like I have any hang of how it's gonna go. I don't feel like I have any hang of how this matchup will look, you know, over the years potentially. Whereas there are definitely uh, like uh, just rivalries where you see one match and you are just certain, okay. That's how it's gonna go, and that's how it goes um, ten times. And Alcaraz Musetti is far from that. I, I yeah. definitely feel like uh, we haven't seen um, everything from from that rivalry. Every single match between them is actually gonna be somewhat different to each other, and and that's I guess what makes it really exciting ahead of tomorrow and 
it is um, the match of the day for me, for sure. Yeah, and then also technically, I'm interested in like the serve and return dynamic because when they played in Hamburg, Musetti was like, you know, those really potent kick serves that Alcaraz is able to hit on the on the outside that usually mm-hmm. bother most righties. Musetti was actually able to get quite a lot of depth and loop on his backhand return and actually like prevent Carlos from just straight up attacking him on the plus one. And so he was able to neutralize that serve like a lot better than, let's say, like, for example, Sitsipas when he has that same backhand on the return. So I think, uh, and then that can get Musetti into a lot more. That's a pretty extreme example, but, but yeah, um, I get it. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think it definitely worked in that match in terms of like preventing Alcaraz from just straight up doing plus one mm-hmm. damage on his forehand or backhand. So, uh, and if it's a really really slow clay court, and if it's this isn't this isn't going to be like the night match, so it'll be somewhat medium like day to night, right? So I think it'll be, yeah. I, I don't know who that really gives an advantage to, but I think it's a. Uh, it's a better matchup for Musetti than it would be for a lot of other players. I think that kind of makes the beat down more probable. But then again, you know, if, if it's just not, if it's not like just um, Alcaraz coming out and yeah, firing plus one forehand winners, then probably it's not going to matter anyway. But if yeah. if it's like speedy to a point where he could get a lot of uh, get a lot out of his first serve and the first forehand then that could mean trouble for Musetti but but yeah he has he has a lot of ideas to to try to counteract it and um yeah i guess we're we're coming to an end right um i mean we we have talked about um every single winner of the day we have talked about most of the matches that are going to be happening tomorrow um any any finishing thoughts any last words nope i think we hit it we hit it all. Yeah, I think this has been. Um, I actually went back on the talk, Talking Tennis channel to check out like the the average length of these shows, and um, they mostly ranged between one hour twenty and one hour fifty. Besides yeah. one, there was one that was forty five minutes long, and you know what made the difference? Really, was that was that this tournament? Uh, yes, there was one that was just forty five minutes long. And there's there's one very clear difference between all of these shows and that one. Was that just you and John? No, I wasn't on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the difference. Okay, that's it, that's yeah. Okay, it was Jack and Jakub. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, <laughs> apparently, yeah, right. apparently, right. I force I force guys like you and Nick to to talk for with me for so long, but. Of course, you also contribute to the fact that these episodes yeah. are, are this long. I think yesterday with Nick, uh, we went for like over two, uh, almost two hours. Um, but anyway, um, as yeah. we said, uh, that's going to be it for today. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as usual. We definitely enjoyed spending time with you. And uh, thanks for all these comments in the chat. And um, yeah, just I'm glad to talk to you guys again. And of course, to you, Vansh. Yep. It was a lot of fun, and I, I love also looking at the chat and the comments and addressing those as well as previewing the matches for the next day. So, yeah, this show has been pretty successful so far. We got the okay from uh, from Vansh. The show is the show is successful. So, yeah, I guess we can finish here. I think John is in the chat, so he will probably finish yeah. the show for us. If he's not already, he asleep. will. Looks like. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a if few seconds. Enjoyed this video. Make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.